Hey, what's up, everybody in Free Me Podcast land? I just want to say quickly before we get into this episode, please like, subscribe, share the message, man. I can't grow if y'all don't help me grow. I can only get big on the shoulders of giants. So it's all up to you, man. If you like the message and you think that there's people out there that need to hear this message, get it out, please. You can visit me on Facebook under Thomas Free Me. You can visit my page, Free Me Podcast. You can do all of these things, man, but it's up to you to do it. If you have any um, suggestions, please, you can go to the message box. You can leave me a message, voicemail. And if there's anybody on the show that you want to donate to, you can find the link to do so at the GoFundMe. Um, Again, Free Me Podcast. You can find it at my website, www.cominghomecoalition.com. You can find it on my my Instagram name. You can find it. If you want to do it, you can find it. That's all I'm telling you to do. So, peace and love. I love you guys for tuning in and listening and supporting me. Thank you very much. I'm doing this for you guys, trying to help everybody improve their lives so my life can be improved. And the fuckery will stop and people quit fucking my ears off. Peace. I'm out. Enjoy the show. All right now. All right now. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Free Me Podcast. Glad to have you guys back. I love y'all for for joining in and subscribing. Peace and love. Peace and love, man. I hope y'all are comfortable and y'all's bellies are full. You guys are sitting back. You got your nice little headphones on and you can sit back and listen to a, a great discussion. So today's discussion is with Dr. Robert Roten. He is the founder of the Arizona Trauma Institute. Um, he works with correctional officers, police officers, works with the school board, um, and, and really just trying to re-educate how we deal with trauma and, and mental awareness, trying to take a whole different approach to it. So that's what today's discussion is about. At the end of the discussion, I will leave some information on how to um, enroll in some online classes that his institute also offers. So for joining the discussion today, you will get a discount on that. So listen listen up for that at the end. So I don't want to take too much more of your time. Again, thank you for joining. Enjoy the discussion. Dr. Robert Roden. Good afternoon. This is Thomas with Free Me Podcast. Today, we're with Dr. Robert Roten. He is the founder of the Arizona Trauma Institute. How are you doing today, doctor? I'm doing well. Thank you. How should I address you? Bob is fine. Just Bob is fine? Okay. So you're out in Arizona. How did you come about founding this this Arizona Trauma Institute? Well, (laughs) um, part of that is really just uh, my own curiosity about trauma and the beginnings of of learning how to work with it and then realizing that um, a lot of the people that are professionals don't know how to work with it. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of times people get trained in a model of treatment and will try to apply that to everybody that they work with without understanding that each person's unique trauma history means that you have to approach them uniquely. And so I became kind of dissatisfied with what was out there and began to teach people how to do this. I was teaching college at the time and 
um, I began with some of the, my graduate students and, and uh, when I retired from the university, um, I'd been kind of doing this on the side for, I don't know, six, seven years. And um, the demand was so much that we, essentially when I retired, it was a one person, it was me and a part-time receptionist person. And now we have close to 18 people and we operate uh, courses and we have learners in 138 countries and we have, we train approximately 25,000 people a year. So um, you would think with all of that, that you'd make a bigger dent in the mental health world, but um, that's just, the, the system is very slow to change. So that's what we work on is trying to educate people on how to work with trauma more effectively and how to stop looking at what is natural responses as being pathology or bad behavior or and the list goes on and on. So that's, for me, it was just dissatisfaction with what was available. Why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think that mental health is not a, a priority in this country? It is a priority, but how to do it well isn't a priority. Um, the economic in, in structure, and if you want to think of it as a, a medical and pharmaceutical industrial complex, um, stand to lose billions of dollars if the system changes. And so there is no uh, impetus on their part to have it actually be working for the good of the client. All of these programs are designed for the good of the mental health field. And so, you know, you look at, you go to a psychiatrist and their job is to give you medication. And rather than teach you how to manage what's going on, they give you medication. When you go to a therapist to, to begin to get treatment, you have to prove you're sick enough to be worthy to be treated. Uh, they do that in their intake process. And then they focus on how you're damaged and broken. And, you know, the simple law of the way the, the brain and nervous system works, what you focus on, you get more of. And so we, we have these people that go into, they're vulnerable, they're vulnerable, they want help. And they are continually focused on what isn't working and they, they do more of it. And then people are surprised. And then we begin to label the client, um, they're resistant or they're non-compliant or they're in denial or the, the list of negative labels is huge. And really basically what they're saying is that it's their fault that they're having these symptoms. And that's, that that system, the way it's designed, supports the economic infrastructure of, of medicine, psychiatry, and mental health. And it doesn't really focus on wellness for the individual. What else well said, and, and I guess that's, that's how I've always been because I've had a lifetime of trauma and it's led me down a, a, a dark, dark road. And it took me many years into my adulthood to, to really start to figure out what was going on inside my own brain and mm -hmm. I've never been one to even as a child I've just never been one to take medication you know because I've always looked at medication as just a band-aid you know I, I always wanted to know how to fix the problem so I didn't have to take medication mm -hmm. you know and I guess in my early 20s I was diagnosed with with ADHD 
and again, I, I tried taking, uh, you know, I was on Ridlin as a child. Um, then they put me on Prozac for a little while, you know, and, and the, the effects that I, it, it just altered me, you know, I just didn't feel human in a sense, you know, and, and I just didn't want that. And that started me on my cycle to try to just figure out what my triggers were, how to, to, to calm my anxiety, you know, just, just these, these, these skills, you know, is, so is this what you try to, to implement in, in your courses? Well, I try to teach people the basic science of what's going on. Um, you know, why the body's operating the way it is and to help them understand that this isn't bad behavior. It isn't, it isn't mental illness. It is the way the body's designed to work. And if you want to help somebody, you have to work with the way the body works. You can't demand that they do something that they really aren't equipped to do. And a lot of the mental health approaches really um, don't do a good job of that. Well, I think us as human beings, like when I know when I try to teach somebody something, I'm trying to teach them how I learned, but that specific person does not learn that way. So how do we teach how do we learn a person and how they learn? Like what signs, how does that even work? Well, I think before you can even do that, you have to understand what's going on. Um, you know, for, when we start working with folks, uh, not only clients, but when we start to train people, we, we really start with some very basic things. Our nervous system is running the show. Our nervous system is the foundation of all thought all sensation, all emotion, all movement, all action requires the use of that, that nervous system. And our, our nervous system strives to make everything work in unity. And trauma basically interferes with that ability to create that unity. And we, are, we all often are looking at the nervous system responses and we, we give them labels but most of the responses are exactly what should be happening with the what's what's going on in the brain and the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes kind of a, a challenge for us because when if you're really looking at trauma, the way we define trauma in so much of the literature is we talk about this big bad event. But most people that have a big bad event are never going to go to therapy for it because they work through it quite well all on their own. The, the thing that's, that is incredibly unfortunate is that we tend, because we're, our focus, and this is what mental health has done, is this focused on this, this, in, this single event distracts everybody from understanding that it is, it is daily toxic stress, repeated adversity, and environment that is driving arousal in this body. And the experiences that people are having are related to what's going on in here. But if they don't understand that, then what they do, and, and you know, I see this in graduate programs all over the country, is we train people to analyze a situation based on the symptoms, rather than understanding that the symptoms are actually correct. And what you really need to be doing is focusing on how can I help change this environment? <clears throat> so, excuse me. So that becomes kind of a challenge. Um, 
and you know we don't want to on this program we don't want to go into all of the the neurochemicals involved but some of them you know most people are kind of familiar with some of them but the reality is is all of the all of the biochemical and hormonal activity is creating neural connections in the brain and nervous system in other words because our nervous system is reacting to our environment we're actually building connections <clears throat> that are now physical structures in the brain and nervous system and once those structures are formed we operate the, on them automatically we're not we're not evaluating them we're operating them on on, them, on those memory. just well, it's like muscle memory we call it procedural memory mm-hmm. <laughs> and but it's you know all sorts of things which sock do you put on first which shoe do you tie first uh you know you know when you have something on your plate which do you you know what do you do first pick up your spoon pick up your fork we have all of these patterns that we build from repetitive experience but though the this isn't necessarily just a repetitive experience that's happening but it is what's happening in that nervous system so you have a kid that that uh is living in an environment where the stress level is high, not abused, not hit, not um, not deprived of food, but they're ignored or they're treated like they're unimportant and they can't connect with their parents. And the stress of that early on begins to build patterns of how to operate, how to hold your body, how to think, how to emote, how to connect with people. And so you you have in the same family you can have multiple presentations of this because each kid's going to adapt to the environment in a unique way. Maybe the oldest child is the anxious, perfectionistic, overachiever trying to earn connection, you know, and value with the parents. Another child might be um, so so distressed by this that they'll do anything to not feel any any kind of arousal. Um, and so they become kind of um, overly involved in reading or video games, or as they approach teenage years, they, they can't tolerate that kind of distress in their body at all. And so they look for things to to distract the body or to to mitigate that possibility of arousal. So they will do things like, you know, compulsive behaviors, or they will use drugs. And what we tend to do is punish the use of drugs and punish the use of compulsive behaviors rather than how do we stabilize this environment so the child's body isn't in this constant state of arousal because until we can get them regulated, we can't possibly help them learn differently. That probably was an overlong answer. No, I mean, Dr. Bob, that... that... (laughs) that's the premise of my whole show right is 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 trying to bring awareness to young parents how how detrimental they are to to their to their children without even realizing it and -hmm. it's like you said it's not these traumatic events of of you know the husband beating the wife or, or anything like that it's just tension in the house that the child that's not explained to the child you know it's it's like i say you know, back in the days, you know, the elder used to take the, the child out for his first hunt. And the hunt itself was a traumatic experience, right? The kill was a traumatic experience for the child. But when the, 
when the elder sat down and he explained to the child, this is why we hunt. This animal feeds the tribe. You know, we bless the animal, all of these things. It subdues that, you know, that, that trauma because now that the child is able to process why this happened and he understands it and he agrees with it eternally. But with today, because of, of uh, economical pressures and, and social norms and, and all of these distractions that are around us all day constantly, you know, as adults, we don't have time to, to put these explanations into our children. So when, a, when an event like a global pandemic Go ahead. Well, I, I uh, it's not that we don't have time. It is that we have adults that aren't regulated themselves well enough. They aren't meeting their Thank own you. needs well no, enough. You're, you're to meet absolutely correct. Else. Yeah, so it, we it do have the time. We're just proportionately, you know, yeah. appropriately differently. Yeah. You get you get parents that are. Um, getting into relationships, getting out of relationships, you have, um, you know, no real, no real intentionality. It's all reactivity. And so they, they're ill-equipped to, and they're not mature enough quite often. And so what we end up doing is seeing this intergenerational transmission of, of toxic stress environments. And because the parent is never fully matured in their own life, they, they don't regulate themselves. They don't, they're not operating in their executive functioning system. Everything and our society promotes that. You know, the first question is, well, how do you feel about that? When did emotions become the dominant thing? Um, you know, you're going to feel bad about a lot of things that you need to do in life. And that doesn't mean you don't do them. You know, you're going to have a lot of challenges. I don't feel like doing it is not an answer. And, and what we have built is in the last 50 years is a society that's really over-focused on emotion instead of understanding that when you are in your executive functioning system, you make a choice and act on that and follow through on that because you're doing it intentionally. Um, and until you can get into that part of the brain and stay in it for the most most of the time, you can't you can't grow intentionally very well. You're not going to sustain changes you make very well, and and our system doesn't really support uh, mature, responsible parenting um, because we you know for any number of reasons, and then because parents aren't able to regulate themselves. They're all about them and what they're experiencing rather than what the child is experiencing. And so they tend to focus everything. It's, you know, look at how many, and I I'm, I'm, don't mean this to be critical, but it's just, it's just a, a clear evidence. Um, a man or a woman, depending on whichever parent you're with, starts dating and they want to sleep with this person. And so you're supposed to like them and you're supposed to get along with them. Why? Because your parent wants to sleep with them. You're supposed to accept them into your life. Well, that doesn't work out. So they're on to somebody else and they're on to somebody else and they're on to somebody else. What do you, what does the child learn from that is that relationships are not permanent, that they're to meet sexual gratification and they have no other purpose. 
and that uh, the child has no rights to like or not like whoever comes into their life. Well, that is, those are horrible messages to leave a child. Now, what about, what about when that woman is allowing these men to come into their home and, and beat on her in front of the child, men after men after men? You know, that's also the, you know, there's messages. Not only is there constant tension, but this is how you behave with somebody. And, you know, these are patterns that are built early, early in life. And then they, then once the pattern is built, we are not looking for, you know, well, why am I thinking this way? It just becomes automatic. Um, and, and there's a, there's a lack of understanding of what's really going on. A simple little one. There's when the body moves into that aroused state, there's about a hundred changes that occur in our perception. One of the first and most prominent is the musculature of the middle ear constricts. And when the musculature of the middle ear constricts, a person can't process language very well. They, they're looking for danger sounds and not information. And that's the way the survival system works in the body. When the adrenaline kicks in. Well, yeah, there's a whole host of things, but yeah, mm-hmm. but that's, um, so, so that happens. And, and so think of the, of whether you're in an, a disagreement with a spouse or a friend, or you're, you're angry at a child, or you're trying to get the child to hear something. Nobody can hear and process language well when they're in that state. And if the person is angry and trying to have a conversation with somebody, you know, then you hear things like this from parents. Well, I've told them this 50 times and they just don't get it. Well, of course not, because when you're having the conversation, they can't hear you. And, you know, that's not an intentionality. They're not failing to hear you because they are obstinate or stubborn um, but they are not able to do it by Practically, Yeah, they're practically in shock. Their body is shut down, you know? Yeah. We also know that people that are raised in kind of chronic toxic stress environments um, as children often manifest the symptoms of ADHD. But the reality is they're not, they don't have ADHD. Their body's in a state of arousal and it's doing exactly what the body should be doing. It's not focusing. It doesn't process language very well. It can't learn very well. It can't learn very well because the part of the brain that's being flooded, uh, the chemicals being released, cortisol and adrenaline interfere with sequential memory. So you can't remember very well. You, your, your danger system is saying you need to be checking the environment constantly so you don't pay attention to anything. You're your attention's all over the place. Um, and uh, if, you're, if you're a person that tries to calm through connecting to people, you're going to over-talk. You're going to talk, and the more stress the teacher or anybody else puts on you, the more you're going to want to talk, which is going to get you in trouble. And so, you know, we know if it's truly an organic issue that it should emerge in any population about 2% of the time. The fact that we have almost 40% of the school-aged children diagnosed as ADHD is, is proof that there are a lot of toxic child-rearing environments out there. 40% of children are diagnosed with ADHD. About that. I did not know that. 
And really, it can't it can't be more than one and a half to two percent. If if you understand how genetics and biology work, uh, you know, cancer stays at right about that same schizophrenia. We've been doing research on schizophrenia for sixty years, and it stays right about one and a half two percent of the population. But when you have socially driven symptoms that we've labeled like ADHD. Um, we have massive numbers, uh, you know, in uh, some of the school systems that I've done some consulting work with, they have 13 to 15% of the kids diagnosed as bipolar. And, you know, but That's nobody's crazy. looking at what's going on in their home. That's staggering, man. It is. It, you figure that the average teenager meets all the criteria for major depression at least once during their adolescence. Because, and it's almost all relational. So we are not a good, we are not a good environment for children in the United States. Well, I mean, that's, that's a segue into some statistics that I want to read off to you because, <laughs> again, like I say, the premise of my show is just to raise awareness on, on, on these stats, man. I mean, it's, it's disgusting to me. So as of January 16th, 2020, one out of 100 people in the United States are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Juveniles at 12 years old, 545. At 13 years old, 1,429. At 14, almost 4,000. 15, 7,500. 16, 11,000. 17, 12,000. That was in 2017. It's, it's unremarkable that we had, that's, that's almost, that's almost 50,000 children we have incarcerated in our country. Mm -hmm. Knowing those kind of statistics, what, what effect do you think that's going to have on our future as a, as a country? Well, I think the incarceration is the frustration of a society in knowing because they're trying to approach the problem from the wrong place. What we're doing is taking the person that is having these behaviors and we're punishing them for having these behaviors. In other words, we're actually punishing them because their body is operating the way it is and we don't like it. So they shouldn't do it instead of where we need to be focusing the, the, attention is really changing culture and you know what are we doing to build infrastructure so people are employed and can and can support families and can you know what are we doing to help families build um you know cohesiveness and to help parents calm down and help parents be able to be more effective we're not we're not investing in that mm -hmm. we are cleaning up the mess afterwards and you know, I've worked with juveniles. Delaying, in, delaying the stimulus past Christmas time definitely ain't helping with the stress of the American people. I could tell you that. No, no. But, but the, you know, you, what you run into is that, uh, and nobody really talks about this statistic, and, and I don't know that anybody really collects it, but um, you probably have a percentage, and I'm going to guess it's probably 5 or 6%, and that's just anecdotal based on my experience. But you have five or six percent of the kids that would rather be in detention than be home. Because 
there's more structure and less tension in jail than there is in their household. And that is a horrible situation. And what are we doing to address that? You know, what do we do when family, when we know families are having problems, child protective services come in and they remove the child. And quite often those children are more traumatized in the system than they were in the home that they were in. And they put all these demands on this very dysregulated parent or parents. And, and then when the parent can't comply because they're, there's just so much more stress now than there was before, and they weren't managing that well. So when they don't comply, then the governmental bodies say, well, they don't really love their children. Mm -hmm. That's just BS. Is that what are you doing to help the parents be stable? What are you doing to help the parents regulate their own emotions so they have the wherewithal to help these children and to, and to be more effective as parents? Well, going we back into going back into what you were discussing earlier, do you think do you think that's even their their agenda though? How how do we overcome? No. So no. how do we overcome that as 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 a community? You know, as you and I, as parents and as a community, as Americans, knowing that we're fighting against a, a, a political agenda, how do we overcome that? Most of it is going to require us to just have a whole different mindset on how we see community. Um, you know, what do, you know, many of the people in America don't even know their neighbors. They don't know what don't their know neighbors mine. are experiencing. So how are you ever going to help somebody else stay? Almost everybody, there's, there, there's a, in, the, in the New Yorker magazine, I think it was the second year it was published, it was during an election year. And it shows this two panel black and white kind of uh, cartoon of a politician you know how they used to make him look kind of piggish with a big cigar. Yeah. And he's, he's asking his audience, how many think need, there needs to be change? And everybody's hand is up. And in the next panel, it says, who's willing to change? And nobody's hand's going up. Mm. And that's everybody who wants somebody else to do something to make it different. The real truth is that we have to decide to make it different. You know, what are we doing? And it's, it doesn't take big things. It just takes consistent things. Um, you know, uh, I'll give you a silly example. Being, being in a grocery line and there's a mother that has three small children and they're all melting down and she's trying to get through the line. Um, look at all the, look around and see how many people are judging the mother because these children are acting up. Well, the, the children are not regulating mom's not going to be able to regulate and the judgment from other people just makes the dysregulation higher. Uh, and a lot of times it's just really something simple. You can do like just step forward and say, Hey, can I help with, can I help with the kids? Can I, you know, is there anything I can do to help you? You know, I understand this is really kind of, they're, they're tired and these are going on a little bit of compassion applied on a regular basis really helps people calm down it's um i was in a uh what state was i in i don't remember what state i was in but i went into a uh a one of the stores and i i just picked up something small and the person you know 
held out their money for held out their hand for the money. And I put the money in their hand, and they started to tear up. And I, I said, "What's going on?" She said, "You're the first person that's touched me all day. Most people just throw their money on the counter, and you actually have been looking at me and talking to me, and you actually touched me." Well, how much how much is your system so overwhelmed that 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 is a meaningful thing well that tells and, you how out of touch we are right and sure. and and this is a lesson that that i had taught you know somebody not too long ago you know i noticed that when i talk to telemarketers or if i call like a customer service agent or something like that you know just by me asking them before I even start into my gripe or my complaint or whatever it is that I'm calling this other human being about, just me asking them, you know, how are you doing today? How's your day going? Like it, it, it overwhelms, like you say, it overwhelms this person, you know, because they're not, they're just used to somebody just yelling at them and coming in without even just asking this person, you know, this human being, how their day is going. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that's agenda. You know, and, and now with COVID and then the with 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 IT the way that it is, we're going to be we're gonna be we're gonna be hermits, you know, everybody basically being in their house for a year, you know, social distancing for the past year. It's it's scary. It really well, is. And that's one of the reasons I think you're seeing a lot of adolescent uh suicides in the, the numbers are increasing quite a bit. Um they, they feel isolated and they're not getting the connections that they need and they're not getting them from their friends, which, which is where they've gotten them before. They're definitely not getting them from their parents. If you have dysregulated parents that are all over the place and they're stressed in their life, and then you are locked up with them all day long. Yeah. That's uh, that's a recipe for some serious problems. You know, I, I recently saw a documentary um, by a, I think his name was Sir Trevor McDonald. And he went in uh, Indiana State Prison and he interviewed uh, a gentleman in there. His name was Ronald L. Sanford. And Ronald Sanford um, committed a double homicide at the age of 13 years old, mm -hmm. him, and a, him and another guy. Um, the other kid was 15 years old. Their plan was to, uh, the, the Indiana State Fair, they wanted to go to the fair. So they were going to mow lawns in order to raise money to go to the fair. The first house they went to was an elderly lady. Uh, they went, knocked on the door. Um, uh, lady, long story short, the lady did not want her lawn cut. So the two boys pushed their way up into the home stabbed the old lady, uh, waited for her sister to come home, stabbed and killed her, netted $5 out of it. So only one boy ended up going to the fair. And uh, yep. all, the, all, the, all the attention got turned on the 13-year-old. The 15-year-old ended up um, turning state's evidence right away, put all the blame on the 13-year-old. He didn't do any time. The 13-year-old got life. How do you feel about that? I don't think any minor should be getting life in prison. Um, because almost all the time, what there is, the, the basic assumption 
that we see applied over and over again is that the child had a plan and they did this with intention. And most, even most crime is not done with, with a clear plan. It's mostly opportunistic, you know, kids walking down a sidewalk and they see something in the front seat of a car that they want. They didn't have that plan when they left their house. It's just opportunistic. Um, and so in, for intentionality to occur, you have to be in that part of your brain that's intentional. And that's uh, clearly, the, does he need to be punished for the behavior that they did? Well, yeah, but uh, life imprisonment for, for a child before they even have a life to really to to really be taken away i mean it's really i i find that prosecuting most adolescents as an adult is a horrific thing but it's not about justice it's about do we get to feel good because we've punished somebody we do not have a recovery or a a uh, reclamation if you will uh, attitude towards people that, that get into trouble. Even though we recognize, you know, you look at in a typical jail, you have a good portion are there for drug violations. Um, and almost all of them use whenever they can, because they don't like the state that they're, that they are experiencing when they're not using. Why aren't we addressing the, that state that they're in rather than trying to punish them for their behavior? You, you know, we yell at children for not paying attention, but their arousal system is so high that they can't pay attention. Um, we see people that are dysregulated and engage in opportunistic behavior, and we want to punish them for the behavior with the idea that's really going to help. But what would really help is helping them be able to stay in that part of their conscious brain that would allow them to make decisions. <clears throat> Silly one like this. I had a dad tell me, um, he's talking about his three-year-old that this three-year-old just does stuff to piss him off. And I said, wait a minute, are you telling me that your child gets up in the middle of the night and makes a plan? How can I really torment dad tomorrow? And he goes, well, no, that's stupid. But the way you're talking about it, because you're annoyed, you are saying he's doing that on purpose. That is, it's not his failure to regulate. It's your failure to regulate. You're getting aroused because of what he's doing. So you want to blame him. And that's the society we're in today. We're in a, we're in a society where it's, it's, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And blame every, everything society. Everything just so that I don't have to look at myself. You know, and, 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 and this is scaring me because I, I see what's going on in Canada. You know, they're actually trying to make it a crime, right, to, to, to call somebody a name, to, to, to be offensive, you know. And I, I just don't like where I see, I see us going. Well, and it's part of it is that, again, it's, it's kind of a global failure to understand what's going on in, in the body of a person. Um, you know, we respond 
to what's going on in our system. If I have a lot of unmet needs, my body is in survival mode. And so I'm not intentional. I'm not, I, I'm trying to meet a need and I'll meet it in whatever way I can. And that's, we, we, and when we have kids that are being raised in environments of stress, um, they, they just cannot think clearly. A lot of times when I am talking about this with groups of parents, I will talk about, so the, the genius part of your brain, that's, I call it the Bruce Banner part. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to correct children and you're trying to get the lessons learned when they're in the Hulk mode. Mm -hmm. Or if you like, you know, if you want to think Einstein, Frankenstein, um, they are, when they're in the Hulk, they're not behaving badly. They're behaving organically correctly. They are behaving in biologically correct ways. You shouldn't be punishing people for behaving in biologically correct ways. Essentially, what you're saying is you're a bad person because you're a human being. And that's, that's a horrific message to give people. So, you know, if, and you, it, it doesn't just apply to something simple like that. You have a kid that is, is bent the whole weekend at home um, getting stressed and being maybe ignored or maybe, or, or maybe ridiculed or teased or put down. No physical assaults, no physical abuse, no sexual abuse, but just constantly being irritated. They've been in their Hulk system all weekend. And they go to school and Monday morning and they're supposed to sit still, pay attention and do what the teacher says. But their body is still in that arousal state. And one of the reasons that people don't want to look at this stuff, I think, often is because the way the body works, I can be able to be pretty cognitive in about 20 minutes, 30 minutes after I've had an arousing period. But my body takes upwards of depending on my history anywhere from six to 30 hours to metabolize that those chemicals in the body and so while i may may appear like i'm able to talk to you clearly my body is still churning up with this stuff and so the next thing that happens can be tiny but it's just enough to bring me back up to full speed again and so you need time to to get that body relaxed or you need to actually do things to help the body relax. So when we go in and work with schools, we talk about, look, you, if that kid comes into your room and, he's, and he is in a state of arousal, you need to do several things. One, you need to recognize it. Two, you need to keep you calm in the face of that arousal because if you move into a power struggle with somebody or you, if you're trying to correct them, when they're in Hulk mode, how well is that going to work? I mean, you know, I don't know if you're a Marvel comic fan, but telling Hulk that he should calm down isn't going to work. Telling Hulk that he should uh, not do something, the Hulk is, an, is a creature of instinct and survival. <clears throat> and that's what you're dealing with. So why we don't teach that to teachers. We teach them to punish and all they're really interested in is compliance and, and acquiescence. And when they can't get that, then they get mad at the kids. Well, if you've got a kid that's already aroused and they're sitting there and they're doing their best 
but their body is just blowing them up. A teacher sounds, can either blow it, it up more or help. It sounds like a big hamster wheel to me, you know, and it and it all revolves all back to to just governmental pressures, you know, that that we have on us, you know, just and and it's like how you said earlier, you know, when I said that that we don't have time as parents because you know we're working and and you said it so well that we do have time. We're just choosing to spend our time in other ways than than what the priority should be, which is our children. You know, at the end of the day, if 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 as you say, you know, me and the wife, we spent all weekend, you know, arguing over bills or whatever. It may be minute to her and I, but it's traumatic to our child. And we have to yeah. recognize that. We have to recognize, even though that we know that her and I was just frustrated and we were just raising our voices, the child does not know that. And the right. child is sitting up in the room like, I've never heard mommy and daddy talk to each other like this. The child does not understand bills. So how 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 do we as parents recognize traumatic events that are happening to our children that we just write off as everyday life? Well, part of this is, and I don't think governments can do anything to change this, to be honest with you. Well, it all boils down to self. It it really requires maturity on the part on the part of adults. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with the ACE studies? No. The adversity of childhood experience studies. Mm-mm. So in the mid nineties, we discovered through a massive piece of research that there are common factors that create um, trauma. And, you know, certainly child sexual abuse, physical abuse and neglect, emotional and physical neglect, um, witnessing domestic violence are, are some of those but the rest were all family dysfunction. And if you had three or four of these, you are at risk of having a 20 year less lifespan because your body builds those patterns early in life. And, and uh, Vince Filetti, who's the primary investigator of that, and I was speaking at a conference a couple of years ago and somebody in the audience said, well, you know, if you had to, if you had to, um, summarize the A study in one study in one statement. What would it be? And he and Vince said, "Not even dropping a, a beat." The A study is massive evidence of the failure of parenting because you have parents that are not regulating themselves. Because we we want to talk in terms of choice. Well, the parents choosing not to do something. No, only you only have choice. When you're in Bruce, Bruce Banner mode, mm-hmm. when you're in hope mode, you're in reaction mode. And what How we do you have know when you're in, in either one? Well, first of all, you have to get that system calmed down well enough to recognize when your body is shifting. You recognize when your body is shifting. I mean, you know, how many times have you noticed your breath is changing, your breath volume is changing, your heartbeat is changing, your muscle tension is changing? It's but we aren't aware of that. We're like, but, but Dr. Bob, what about the person that's in a, like, as we said earlier, a perpetual state of, of, of just excitement and trauma all day from the moment they wake yeah. up to the moment they go to sleep is anger and, 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 and aggravation and argument all day. So, so the question so, is who's in charge of that environment? 
where it's not the person. That's right. The people that have to make the initial changes are the people in charge of the environment. Which is yourself. And that's why I say it all comes down to self. Yeah. And well, it is, it is the self, except biologically, I mean, I mean, I don't care what human development book you look at, children are not designed to be self-regulating. No. They are designed to be regulated in response to a connected relationship. In order to have good connected relationships, the adult must be able to stay in Bruce Banner mode. If the adult cannot do that, they cannot help the child. When that's 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 a great point because me my my wife and I we had a discussion the other day about about that about whether children have personalities or whether they're just mimicking their environment. You know, for me I say that for me I just say that that children mimic what their environment is. You know. And to a, a certain degree, to a certain point to where they start to form their own personality, 14, 15, you know, young adolescents, um, when they go into that switch. But she claims that she had a personality of her own at five years old. So, well, I'm going to probably take a different tack with you. Each body has its own sensitivity. So, um, where I have, you know, where, where somebody can be born in the same family and this person is more reactive to cortisol than their brother or sister is. And this one's more reactive to ketchacolamine or, and so when the same event is happening, it is interpreted biochemically differently for each person. And so the patterns that are built that we tend to think of as being you know, a lot of, a lot of personality are being built by those, those unique sensitivities. And so all, all of us come with a design, if you will, that is either going to be um, uncovered and built, or it's going to be overran by what we're experiencing. But your parents are, you know, that's, that caregiving environment, whatever it is, is the part that brings out, should bring out the attributes of this personality. The reality is that a lot of what's happening is that children are having to, to smother those natural parts of themselves because of the environment that they're in. You know, the, the child that would normally love to engage in, in with adults and want to be connected and want to talk and be be around them. Um, but because of the dysregulation of the parent, for example, um, they've learned to associate a certain car door slam with a drunk parent. And so they, they would like to be able to meet that parent and have a good time and connect with them when they come home. But that car door means it's unsafe. And so now they run, to the, they hear that, that door sound, Crazy. their body shifts chemistry, and they run to their room and hide. Or they gear up for a fight to get that engagement that they need. But they are not responding through a rational decision-making. It is a reactive process. They've moved out of any kind of executive functioning. And children are not designed to be able to regulate themselves. You know, I have a lot of folks that will say, well, when should a child be able to regulate themselves? 
And I say, well, when do you think? And they say, oh, around three or four. I said, no, a child shouldn't be able to recognize, to really regulate themselves consistently um, until somewhere between 11 and 13. And that is if they have lived in and been raised in an environment that has been pretty well regulated. If the environment hasn't been well regulated, we're going to push that time frame back, maybe even a decade. And what about like, a tumultuous one? Well, yeah, it, it, you, you can't expect a child to be well regulated when when they are uh, when they're living in that environment. Funny, funny. I had a couple of teachers say, "Well, look, this kid has been raised in this environment, and." They're they are good students and they're very, you know, they're very meticulous and they're very perfectionistic in what they do. And I, yeah, that's right. Because that's how they've adapted is there's such chaos around them. The only way they can feel safe is to put order to everything. And that may work really well academically and it may work really well career wise, but it's, it's going to play hell with their relationships. So, so as a, as an adult parent, say a single mother or you know, a single father or, or however, how do you spot or recognize if a child is displaying some sort of trauma? Well, you'll see all of those, you'll see all the reactions of arousal. Um, the first place isn't to notice it in a child. The first place is to notice it in the adult. When do I, am I shifting into an aroused state? Is my body reacting to tension and stress? If I can't relax it, I can't help a child relax. And so um, we always want the kid to be able to do stuff, but the kid, again, they are not wired to be able to do this. They're only wired to do it in response to a, a regulated adult. And, and until they have lots of experiences of, co-regulating with that adult they can't do that for themselves you know it, when they get to be in their mid-20s they can but it really requires a lot of work so i guess what about what age would you say that the the child starts forming their own personality you know they're making their own decisions and and as a parent let's let speak personality has nothing do with our decision making mm. How personality so? personality is really the our manifest of our of our process of how we are digesting experience well true that's the expression of what our experiences through life has been mm -hmm. but how does that not factor into our decisions well, because decision making is the way we talk about decision making in our in our society assumes that people have thought things through and they're making an active choice. Most of the time for children, they are not making an active choice. They're making a reactive choice because the system that they're in isn't isn't that logic system. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm, I'm not to be difficult, but I'm trying to be really careful about the decision making piece. Because so many people say, well, they decided to do that. Well, they only decided if they are in their help, if they're in Bruce Banner mode. If ah, they're in okay. Hulk mode, they're so, reacting. So, so a conscious person is, is okay, is right, living through, through 
decisions, but but a reactive emotional person isn't, which is most of uh, our, our people today, you know. And, and again, right. this is this is what I bring out in a lot of my shows. And and this is I've led a life of emotional decisions. I know the outcome of what making emotional decisions are. And what that is is a lot of I wish I would have thought that through more clearly, you know. And it's a lot of chaos. It's it, man. Let me tell you, who are you telling? A lot of chaos, you know, and I'm tired. And this is the thing. This is what I'm trying to teach my daughter now. Like, put all the hard work in now because your body structure is designed for this hard work now. Mm-hmm. Because at 45, it's not, you know. <laughs> I played, I played when I should have been working, you know, working hard. And now I have to work hard when I should be playing, you know. That's the nature of our learning cycle, apparently. That's, you know, most of us, um, you know, if you grew up with any kind of stress or trauma, you're just looking to, you're just looking for things to kind of fill up that, the, the holes in your soul. Well, as you were saying earlier, you know, for me, coming home from school, my first temperature check was if the house was silent and nobody was talking, I knew that my father was in a rage and for me just to go to my room and not make no noise, no distractions. That was as soon as I opened the door, I did a temperature check of the house. If people were moving around, I knew that my father was calm, everything was okay, you know? And, and, and I learned at a very, very young age how to read bodies how to read people's expressions their their bodies and engage it was a survival strategy for you it it was and it it, i mean it grew into something you know useful today you know but but it was it was very traumatic you know it was a very very traumatic time all the way through so sure you know to sum this up go ahead so it's the environment begins to change the neurochemistry and the uh and the neurochemicals and hormones in the body as early as the second trimester well let me ask you this coming from somebody whose mother was eight months jumping off a tra- you know the, the chair trying to, to to induce labor because she was just tired of being pregnant <laughs> you know how does that affect a child in the womb, you know? Well, remember, any of the chemistry that's going on in your your parent is coming into you as well. So if there's a lot of stress hormones, um, you're the lucky recipient of that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, which will affect how you view the world. Um, there was a really interesting study that was done in the early 90s by a guy named Martin Teacher, teacher out of uh, Boston's uh, McLean Hospital. It was in the early days of, of brain imaging research. And they, they uh, proposed that if you, if you exposed a pregnant primate to daily levels of moderate stress, and they define it pretty well, um, that the offspring would be born with more mass and volume in the part of the brain that is that Hulk part, the, the 
paralimbic, the, the reactive survival system. And so they did this study and what they found was that those offspring that were born from the, the stressed parent had more mass and volume, sometimes as much as two deviations higher than the control group. And that's, that was amazing. And everybody's like, well, that's what we expected. But there, there's a message there. And there's actually two messages. Let me make this one. That what the fetus was experienced because of stress in the mother was changing the way their brain worked, was changing their sensitivity to certain um, hormonal and biochemical changes in their own body. So is this how you, you, you know, quote unquote, are born evil? Well, I don't believe in being born evil. I think that's just... I don't either personally, but... But the other piece of that is, is that as they continue to, to study those offspring, when those offspring reproduced in non-stressful environments, that was handed down to their offspring. And it took several generations of, of, those, of offspring to, to remediate the original change several generations several so we don't we don't like thinking about that because you know that's way forward focused in our society but you know what kids are experiencing even prenatally can show up not only in their own life but it can show up in the lives of their grandchildren and that is a really unfortunate legacy that we have that we're passing down. Now, would addiction result in the same fashion? I mean, is that the same? Would it would it create the same trauma in that unborn child? It, it can because it's changing the chemistry of the body. You know, so if you have a parent that's on, you know, let's say uh, amphetamines of some kind, well, the body's going to develop a sensitivity to that prenatally that is going to make it more likely for them to need some kind of stimulation. Um, you're going to find a lot of kids whose parents have been heavy marijuana users have the, have the symptoms of ADHD because they are, they need constant stimulus in order to be able to function. <clears throat> so, you know, we, we have so much, so much of what we do in, as parents in our society is not done with any kind of intentionality. It's not done with any clarity of thinking. It's not done with clear decision-making. It is, we have a whole bunch of really reactive parents and I'm not judging them. I'm just saying biologically they are in that state and they are incapable until they can regulate themselves of really doing a good job of parenting. And the, the real scary part of this is is we, we're already seeing the impact of it. Um, you know, you go back when I was a kid, there weren't any child protective services. If your parent was treating you badly, they were prosecuted under animal protection laws. We had, we had animal protection laws a good 70 years before we had a human protection law. Protecting our children. Protecting our children. And you know, we, when you have a whole society that everything is designed. You know, you know what's crazy? I, not, not to cut you off, Dr. Bob, but you know what's crazy is communist Russia understood 
that the children was the the essential need like all the education goes into the children how do we not i i don't get that blows my mind i'm sorry to interrupt you but that that blows my mind we don't want to hear it that's crazy you know when when we when i have had conversations with groups that i'm presenting to i get a lot of feedback from the group saying well you're just blaming parents and i'm not blaming anybody i'm explaining what's going on biologically right in in order to change right, it it's science you can't argue with science this is science no, this is this is you know you increase uh neuroadrenaline neuroadrenaline you know a little bit and people are going to become more assertive or aggressive or hostile i mean that's that's the correct response if you change that and so you know we get because we don't like the responses we tend to blame them and shame people and want to point our finger at them and say they're bad or they're evil or they're sinful. I don't have any value in that. Um, is there genuine evil out there? I believe there is, but I, th I think no one's genuinely evil unless they are able to, unless they are in their executive functioning system and making these choices, you know, and those are usually what you would consider high functioning sociopaths. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, and we just don't have that many of those folks. What we're what we're usually blaming people for is the the reactive things that they do um, to try to meet a need, and this is, underpins most addiction. Come most addiction and compulsive behavior comes because you don't want to experience something, and I would rather use this drug than feel like I do when I don't use it. Right. And so, or put in the work to correct the behavior because taking a pill is much easier. Sure. You sure. know, yeah, I, I'm blown away by that generational thing that you said, because it, it takes several generations to get back to the point of, of no error. And that's without one of those generations experiencing the same stress that, that created the error in the first place. And how often is that going to happen? Yep. So to me, that, that sounds like we're just building a, a pyramid of, of mental instability in our, in our nation. Well, I think we're going to see more, more evidence of dysregulation in the next decade than we've seen in the last three or four, um, because we're, we're seeing it kind of just becoming a stronger, more, more large component of our society. But, but the reality is it, it, governments really can't regulate this. It requires people to choose. Right. To be at the end of the day, I mean, like, like I, like I tell people, we could sit around and we can blame the prosecutors, we can blame the judges, we can blame the people that tell on us, we can blame whoever we want to blame. But at the end of the day, I made the decisions that I made because of either lack of education, laziness, whatever. But it, it, I'm the blame. At the end of the day, I'm the blame, and I have to change that, you know. Dr. Bob, I want you to um before we before we get off, I know you guys have an online course and and um I don't I, I spoke to Ms. Lucy and and Ms. Lucy uh suggested that I can give my listeners 10% off for your online course if okay. they if they join in and uh and mention, you know, that that they watched the, the Free Me podcast. So, can you explain a little bit about this course and what it is? Well, I'm not sure which course she suggested to you. But is there um, multiple courses? I guess it's a 10 hour course. Okay. We have about, we have about 30 courses online. 
it's uh, probably the um, trauma support specialist, which is what we do a lot for parents in that. Okay. And, and uh, she um, gave it to me in the email. I'll put it in the link and description and all that for the for the appropriate. But well, I'm also going to give you um, two 90 minute things. I'm going to put them in the chat right now. Okay, um, perfect. One is on looking at motivation. If you're going to work with people that are traumatized, you have to approach motivating them differently. Mm -hmm. And then. I also have in there the difference between um, um, traditional therapy and trauma therapy. It's a huge difference. So, uh, and then the uh, on our on our YouTube page, which really might be the a better fit for your listeners, we actually have an entire four and a half hour training called "Loving Them Isn't Enough." I saw that. I got that in my watch list. I'm gonna watch it. And it's a uh, um, Crystal worked from. Well, she she's a great therapist. She was also my one of my grad students. So she has kind of grown up with the way we do things. And uh, but you know, it's very, very, uh, it's very succinct. It's easy to understand. It's really designed for parents. Um, so that, and that wouldn't cost them anything. They could just watch that for free. And, and, uh, you know, if we, if we can get the message out and just have people be aware enough to start looking at how do, how can I change? Because the, the natural tendency is anytime we're aroused, we want other people to change. You know, the car, you're driving on the freeway. We've all cut people off unintentionally. We've all done it more than once. Um, but if somebody cuts you off in traffic, you know, we get mad about it. We get afraid. We get mad. And they're the asshole. And the reality is that that's just our failure to manage us. They're the asshole, even though I'm doing 60 and a 45. You know? well, yeah, of course, because they they made me afraid. And, and that, right. that they're, that's bad. Um, you know, it's uh, you, you see in all sorts of things. Uh the kid that uh, is kept after school and miss, so he doesn't have a bus home and has to walk home and he gets home late and the parents are frantic about what happened to the kid and they scream and yell at the kid for being late because they're afraid. Right. Uh, you know, th that's one of the challenges we face is how do we keep ourselves in the place of intentionality? Because most most adults are not living intentional lives. Most adults are living reactionary lives. Mm, yeah, well, that's true. And it's hard to teach a child to be um, intentional if the adult isn't intentional. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Let me circle back around because I, I feel that's very important, especially for young parents. So in that moment when the parent knows that they're emotional and they're, you know, Johnny, what did I tell you about, you know, whatever this and that, you know, when, when is it a good time to circle back and really explain to that child so he will understand and he will remember? Well, when the, when both parties are calm. When both parties, the next night or, or however, it a couple be. hours later. And it could be too, you know, a lot of times parents want to know, why did you do that? And they don't have an answer for that. Um, and, and what 
if you're regulating well, you can direct them in the direction you want them to go. And, and that's going to be more powerful in creating change than trying well, to behavior. That's how I learned how to lie at a very young age was exactly what you said, because uh, I was expected to give an answer. I didn't know how to give. And I, yeah. and I knew as long as I gave an answer, they would just go away, you know? And yeah, so, you, the, the, you know, if you want the, the truth is, and, and again, um, we have a lot of examples of how people can regulate themselves. Uh, Dr. Kamia Pika, who's one of our senior staff, has done quite a few, like 20 or so, brief little exercises that are available on our YouTube page. Again, no cost to your consumer, to, no cost to anybody that wants to look at them if they, if they want to start learning some skills to keep themselves calm. And, uh, but the reality is no child is going to outregulate their parent or their caregiver. And so that always makes people uncomfortable when we start saying, because they want to say, well, this kid's doing this, and this kid's doing this, and they're, they're doing these kinds of things. And our, our, our initial answer is what's going on in their environment. What are you doing to creating a peaceful, settled environment so that there's right. no stress? And yeah. then they kind of look at you like, well, wait a minute. That's not, this isn't my problem. They're doing the behavior. Right. Well, no. What do you mean they? You're talking about an eight-year-old child. I mean, come on, you know. Yeah. I know, you know, and I, and I get it with, with, you know, some of the listeners that I have when I speak to them or whatnot that says, I can't control my child. Okay, well, maybe you can't control your child because you can't control yourself. You know, you are the example for that child, you know, so ask yourself, why is this child out of control? You know? Yep. It's really funny. I had uh, some parents that were like, they were raising twin, and at the time they were nine years old, twin nine-year-olds. And they would say things to the kids and then be yelling at the kids because the kids didn't do it the way that they thought. And and so the, these kids were in constant constant tension and there was just a really funny moment and this is from a therapist's point of view it was a funny moment so they told the kids to clean up their room i don't want we come back for we're going to go shopping we come back we want your room clean and we don't want to see anything on the floor so i've heard that a million times (laughs) they left for two and a half hours in that two and a half hours everything made it out of that bedroom into the front yard, including the carpet and padding. Oh my goodness. I call that malicious obedience. <laughs> but they did exactly as they were told. Well, and of course the parents blew up. Yeah. Because but that's they were, they were they, being yeah, because the kids were being smart asses, right? That's what that's but because but and I said, well where have they ever been how how did you teach them to clean up their room? Did you go through and practice this goes here, this, and I don't have time to do that. Right. You basically just want them to go do what you wanted them to do without any kind of instruction. Well, they are nine years old. They should. So again, you never went through any process of training them. You just expected them and you've always been expecting them to do the things that you want them to do. That doesn't work. With no understanding. They're just supposed to magically appear in their in their thoughts and their minds of of how to get everything off the floor. <laughs> That's right. So this is, and this it's a silly example, but the reality is that 
they created the situation. Right. And of course, they don't want to accept the responsibility for that because that makes them feel bad. Uh, you know, but it, it, the reality is the adult must be a, a intentionally living human being in order to do influence kids for the best. How much time each day is important for, for a, a parental and a child to, to spend together? It's going to flex based on the child. Some children are going to need more. Some children are going to need less. But I would... How do you know? Well, you, 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 you kind of have to sense what's going on with, with that relationship. The thing is that most, most in our society, most kids are not getting the attention that they need from an adult. Um, what do parents do? You know, you go back, <clears throat> instead of doing things with the kid, they want the kid to go do something else while they do what they need to do. Right. They don't fix meals that way. You know, I mean, it's everything. They, they really, it's kind of like most parents would be better off having a pet than, because they don't really want a child. They want something to play with them when they want it to play with. They don't want it to make a mess. They don't want it to be too much trouble. Um, they are not really interested in raising another human being. That's absolutely correct. Or they don't know the responsibility behind it and they just want to have a child because they're lonely and they want to have, just like you said, you're better off going and just getting a pet for real because you're bringing, you're bringing a child into this life that is just going to create chaos, mm-hmm. you know, for both the parent and the child. So, and, and, and a whole lot of other people behind that <laughs> taxpayers systems, all of that, you know, it's, it's, and that's why I say, you know, when we have, going back to the stat, you say 4% of children today is coming up with ADHD in schools. Nearly 40%. Near 40. Oh, I thought you said four, nearly 40%. 40. And then, so if you take, if you take the stat out of, of one out of every hundred is incarcerated. So the, just just we know that there is a single family home or some sort of chaotic environment just in that stat alone. And we know that the average home has two children in it. I mean, that's a that's a large portion of your 40% right there. Well, if you, and again, you might want to read the original A study. You can find it on this Center for yeah. Disease Control's uh, website. But essentially what they say is 67% of children are being raised in toxic environments. 67%. And what, and that was from the nineties, you said? Yep. I guarantee it's probably went up. Oh yeah. I don't have any doubt that it is, but. Where do you um, think it's at? 82, 85? I think it's probably they did a repeat of it in 2010 and it was only a couple of points higher. But when you're talking about that massive a number, you know, you're talking of two thirds of your population. That's pretty horrific. At a, at a rate like that, where would we be in 20 years? Again, the stuff is being transmitted intergenerationally. So I'm not, in 20 years, I'm not so worried. In 50 years, 
I've got some serious worry. 50 years. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Bob, I, I, I greatly appreciate this conversation, man. I, I've been waiting so long for this here, you know. <laughs> well, I thank have. you. It's been, a, it's been a great conversation. I love I love the fact that you love the children and, and you created what you've created for the love of children, you know. Um, I'm doing what I can over here, just trying to raise awareness with, you know, parents that are, yes, they have somebody that's incarcerated or they've been incarcerated themselves, their, you know, addiction, things of that nature, you know. Yep. Um, the belly of the beast is what I like to call it. You keep know, at it. We need people doing that. That's where I'm at. And, and, and I, it's where I relate, you know, so um, I love all people. I love all humans. I don't discriminate. I don't judge. Everybody needs help. I understand through my own mental trauma, you know, and, and, and instability that if I'm this, if I'm this messed up, there's probably a whole lot of people that's just as messed up as I am, you know? So. Yeah, I think it's, the the humanity of it is that this is affecting everybody yeah even if it's not within the walls of your own home as your children are interacting with these other children it they're going soon. they're going to get glimpses of this and then as they move into adulthood um who are they going to have relationships with and right. that's this is this is something you really need to be working hard at and again i don't think it's a it's not something a government can regulate it is really the awareness and the benefits of that awareness really need to be spread far and wide and we need to be actively doing things to lift people right are you spending enough time with your children are you making sure that they're heard and understood you know are you explaining you know events that are going on in your house that you may just write off as as frivolous, but, you know, are you checking with your child to see if they were offended by this in any kind of way, you know? Yep. And are, are you modeling your own self-regulation and talking about the benefits right. of it to the child? Yeah. The biggest, that, that was a big thing for me was, was constantly that, that, um, do as I say, not as I do attitude that was constantly around me, which, which made me rebellious. Sure. You no. Know? So, Obviously. Dr. Bob, again, you take care of yourself, stay safe. You know, how's the COVID out there right now? Uh, about the same as everybody else. Everybody's, you know, trying to stay in and stop spreading it around, but <laughs> we just can't do it. <laughs> we well, just can't do it, man. So there it is. Yeah, you know it. In a nutshell. Staggering, man. Staggering when we think about it, man. What the hell is going on? And what are we doing, man, as American citizens? Like, what are we doing? Are we going to wake up? Are we going to put our children, the, the, the child that we're working so hard to say that we're protecting, right? Are we going to put them first? We think that we're putting our children first every day because we're out here working and we're providing food and shelter. And true enough, these are the responsibilities that we're supposed to do as a parent. But are we educating our children the way that they need to be educated? I don't think that we are, not according to the statistics. 
again, one out of 100 people in the United States are incarcerated. That's not even to speak of the people who are on probation, house arrest, parole, things of that nature. And the juvenile numbers, forget about it, man. I mean, from 13 at 1,429 13-year-olds being locked up, that number doubles, more than doubles, by the age of 14 to 3,892 children. And then it doubles again. At 15 years old, 7,506, and that was in 2017. We're going on four years later, and I promise you they haven't went down. They haven't went down one year. Why would they have went down? We're locking our children up in prison? Are we going to wake up? Because it's not in your home, it, it, it may have touched your family by now you may know an uncle or a cousin or, or someone that's that's going through some sort of addiction incarceration uh, something of that nature it's only a matter of time it's only a matter of time we cannot turn our backs on this anymore we have to do something what do we do we start putting pressure we start putting pressure on our government officials <clears throat> we start putting pressure on our government officials remember go back and listen to the angry activist and what she tells you they work for us we are the boss we have to take control we have to stop putting our focus in the bullshit that we're out here putting our focus in and start putting our focus in making america great for real not what these fucktards are talking about on tv but us as an individual making America great. That's what we have to fucking do. And we start by making ourselves great. Make me great. Make you great. That means that every action that you do is about greatness. Greatness for universal law. Greatness for humanity. Greatness to, to, to provide positive to help one another grow and succeed. Not be successful in how I think you should be successful, but help you find how you want to be successful. That is the key. I don't want to keep bringing you fish. I want to teach you how to fish. I want to teach you how to build your own pole, you know, spool your own line, make a hook, dig worms, put the worm on there, and cast it out. I'm going to teach you how to how to jig the pole, you know, to entice the fish, to take the worm, how to hook them, how to bring them in. And I'm going to teach you one time. And I'm going to go about my business because I got other people on how to teach how to fish. If you didn't catch it that first time, then you weren't paying attention and you weren't that hungry. That's what the show is about, man. That's what that's what I'm out here trying to bring these individuals to you so you can hear. And, and I'm asking these questions because I can understand from, from the belly of the beast, you know. I've been in it, man. I've been in it neck deep. 
neck deep. Let me tell you, I've been in it, man. I know how disgusting the government can get, but at the end of the day, I can't blame them. I blame myself for putting myself in that position to be around scumbags and fucktards, fools, as I've described. So... I'm part of it. I'm part of it, man. If if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. That's a real statement. A lot of fucking people are out here walking around screaming that shit in the street. But they're not really doing nothing. What are you doing? This is what I have to ask myself. I stopped asking the next person, well, what are you doing? Because I really wasn't doing shit. So you know what? Okay. Let me go start this foundation. Let me get this thing rolling. Right. Let me stop talking about it. Let me get my podcast up and going. Let, let's make my podcast about mental health. Let me start trying to interview people. Right. And it started for me walking around, you know, um, just picking up homeless people, interviewing them about their lives, asking questions, you know, and it just grew to 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 interviewing people that I've been researching for a long time. You know, and I'm doing that for the care of my of my my humans, my people. You know, we have to get this shit right, man. We have to get this shit right. These numbers are staggering. Is it going to go away? Seventy five, 80 percent. These numbers of, of, of in a negative realm. Is that going to go away? Is that going to turn around and just start trickling back down? Because what? It just decides to one day. It doesn't work that way, man. When are we going to do it? When are we going to take responsibility for ourselves? You know? Chaos, chaos, chaos. Every fucking time I turn on the TV, no matter what channel it's on, there's chaos. Turn on the radio, chaos. I, I, I go for a drive and just turn fucking everything off and roll down the windows. There's fucking chaos, you know. I'm sitting on my fucking back porch, you know, because cause I'm, I'm, I'm not too far from a, a different house. Chaos. I'm surrounded by fucking chaos, right? And I can sit here and I can blame everything. Every time I leave the house, I could be aggravated and I could blame because when I stopped the light, all I wanted was some fucking silence, man. I can't even get no silence when I'm riding in the car. Some some dickheads got to pull up next to me yelling about whatever. And I let that pull me out of my square and I get frustrated. I cannot control that man that's in the car yelling about whatever. I can only control me. That's it. You know, and then I have to find out, like, what is what is the root of this frustration? Why am I getting so angry? Because I can't find no fucking silence. I can find silence. I know where to find silence. It may take me a little time to get there. But if I really, really wanted silence to, to unwind and relax, I know where to find it at. You know, these these are the ways that I have to 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 take the day on, you know. If 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 I'm going 45 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour lane, right, 
and some asshole pulls out in front of me. And I want to honk my horn and I want to cuss at him and, and run up on his ass. How dare you pull that in front of me, you jackass? Don't you see what I'm driving? I'll run you over. You know? I have to stop that. You know? And I have to take a step back and say, well, if I wasn't driving 45 and a 30, then this dude wouldn't have cut me off. I was in the wrong. I'm the one that's speeding. You see what I'm saying? These are the type of actions that we really have to be accountable for and stop blaming other people for our actions. Because it becomes habitual. We start making it a habit. And before you know it, we're finding a reason to blame everybody else, even though it's our fault. No matter what happens, it's our fault. And we just have to start taking accountability. Or else these numbers are going to keep going up. And next thing you know, like I'm seeing on Facebook, people putting pictures of them building. I'm telling you, it's serious, man. And people think it's a joke. I'm seeing these motherfuckers putting pictures up of... Mad Max vehicles, you know, these demo-style cars with, with like, I don't know if they're fake guns, what, what kind of guns, but they got guns hanging off the side of them with the big fenders coming off. People are building these, man. These are serious times, man. They're serious times, and people think it's a joke. But again, it's, it's subtle change. It's subtle change. And before you know it, we're going to be out here just like Mad Max. Killing each other for a drop of gas. And where's the 1% going to be? The 1% ain't going to be out there killing each other for gas. The 1% is going to be doing what it's always done. Be creating the environment to make us think that we got to kill each other for gas. When are we going to wake up, man? When are we going to wake up, man? I don't know what you see. I don't know what you see. I don't know what you feel. I don't know what you hear. I don't know what your experiences are. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're at. But I know you're a human being. How do I know? Because I know a fucking animal can't pick up no fucking uh, uh, phone and, and no radio and just put on some headphones and, and tune into me. So I know you're a human being. I know you can hear my voice. If you can hear my voice, you can think. All I'm asking you to do is to make sure that your research is complete. It's not half-assed in anything. Do not take anybody's word for anything. Find out on your own, whatever it is. Just do the research. Make sure. And when you do the research, do the research on who you're doing the research from. Just don't turn on the news and listen to the news and think that you're doing research. Don't just turn on the news and switch from one news article to another news article and think that you're catching two different news articles. Ask yourself, well, who owns these two channels, right? Who's the top dog? Who's the top brass? And where's his money go? What's his beliefs? What's he, what's he, what kind of agenda is he pushing through his media broadcast? This is the type of research that I'm talking about. Find out who's in charge. The real boss. You know? And, and, and follow the money, as they say. Follow the money, man. 
you know. So that's what it is. Um, the rest of the year is going to be kind of slow. I got another episode coming up with, with uh, Feeding Tampa Bay. That's going to be a a um, a Zoom as well. This this was actually a Zoom. I'll, be, I'll probably publish the Zoom here uh, in the next couple of days. Um, but these are for my my subscribers, so my subscribers get first first look, you know, um, because I love y'all, man. I, and and this is where it's at. This is the nitty gritty. I like to keep the audio for judgmental reasons, man. Because with video, you know, when I'm when I'm when I'm interviewing these guys, you know, addicts and and ex cons, things like that. When when I'm interviewing them. I don't want any judgment passed without really hearing what these guys have to say. And that's what the audio forces you to do. It forces you to have to listen before you make a judgment. And in today's time, we're so quick to, to pass judgment on people because we just got to keep it moving. So I'll just look at somebody, and I'm guilty of it. I'll just look at somebody and just be like, nah, it's not interesting. And I may be, I may be missing valuable information. And I have to stop doing that. But that's what the audio does. The audio eliminates that. Because now you at least have to listen to this person for 30, 45 seconds. Before you can make a judgment whether you're going to listen to them or not. So I know within them 30 or 45 seconds. Is is whether you're going to catch that person's attention or not. And I don't know if that's fucking true or not. I ain't got no stats. It's just what I do. And I'm just assuming a whole lot of fucking people do what I do. So... That's how I base my fucking life. That's about it. And it's done nothing but lead me into a dark fucking deep hole. So I recommend nobody to, to follow my advice. Yeah. So with that being said, man, thank you again for, for tuning in. I hope that you guys really um enjoyed the discussion. I'm trying here, man. I'm trying. I'm trying like hell to bring y'all some great discussions, man. If y'all... um. Anybody, any of y'all my listeners have some advice, a message, please just drop it in the message box. You can visit me on my Facebook page. You can find me if you want to. A couple have already reached out to me. So once again, man, please be safe. Use the best discretion. Please do not make decisions emotionally. Let the emotion pass. It usually takes only an hour or two for you to calm down. Go somewhere, calm down, and think. We have to start thinking, man. Let's start using these fucking heads and stop letting the government tell us what to think. And let's start thinking for ourselves because this shit is generational, man. The less we use our brain, the less our children are going to have. And then the less they use their brain, the less their children are going to have. And we're going to get fucking stupider and stupider. And then we're going to have Elon Musk coming along telling us that we got to put fucking chips in our brain to make us smart. Stop it, man. Stop it. We have to wake the fuck up. Please, wear your mask. Stay safe. I'm out.